So this is all about the sworn detailed descriptive list that must be prepared by attorneys and filed into the succession court record in virtually every succession. So I'm Paul Rabelais and I'm an estate planning attorney and trying to kind of keep things light. So I always like to start or sometimes I like to start these podcasts with a with a little bit of a joke. So um couple left the office after meeting with me to discuss preparation of their estate planning program. And on the drive home, the husband said, well, you know, honey, I've been thinking that if I die, I don't want you to be alone. I want you to get remarried. And really, there's no reason for you to sell our home. So it's okay if you and your new husband live in our house. And come to think of it, he said, we have two really nice cars. So I wouldn't have a problem with him driving my car and in fact, I wouldn't have a problem with him using my tools and my fishing rods and, and my lawnmower. But he said, you know what? There's just one thing that would that would bother me. I just don't want him using my, my golf clubs. That would be too much for me to handle. I'd roll over in my grave. So just sell them in a garage sale, okay? Well, at that point, the wife said, you know, honey, I, I, I really wouldn't worry about that. He's left-handed. So there you go. Okay, so this is all about the the sworn detailed descriptive list, what it is, why it's necessary, what's involved in it. In virtually every succession, when somebody dies, the survivors hire a lawyer like myself, and the lawyer's office prepares what's a number of different court pleadings, but one of them, kind of the, the basis of the succession, is what's called the sworn detailed descriptive list of assets and liabilities and most people call it just the detailed descriptive list for short so it's got to be prepared it's got to be put into the succession record and really a, a judge isn't going to sign any of the necessary court orders until the judge sees this detailed listing of all of the assets and all of the debts that the person owned when they died So let me go through some of the things we see, some of the stakes made, some of the effects of preparing the detailed descriptive list. So if a married person dies, um, you're going to see on the descriptive list, if they had separate property, you'll see a listing of that spouse's separate property. So that's the stuff that they acquired by inheritance or a donation, or they had it before the marriage you'll see all of the assets that are the deceased spouse's separate property listed separately. And then you'll see a listing of the community property that the deceased spouse had with their spouse. And as you, as you notice the community property, you'll see where when it comes to listing the value of all of those things, it'll break down and it'll list you know one half of the value. So if the couple had a home that was worth $300,000 and the husband died, you'll see the legal description of the home and then you'll see the uh, decedent's one-half community property interest at $150,000. So you'll see all those assets listed. The typical assets that you see listed on a detailed descriptive list are things like real estate and the legal descriptions of those real estate. You'll see the bank accounts, um, you know, where the bank is held, where, at which bank is the account held, um, how is the bank account titled, um, and then you'll see the, the balance of the account as of the date of the death. 
Um, and same thing with real estate. You'll see the, the value of the real estate as of the date of death. You'll see all of the investments, the stocks, the bonds, the mutual funds. You'll see all of the vehicles, the title numbers, um, how those vehicles are titled and the value of those vehicles on the, on the date of death. Now, some people kind of get hung up because they want to make sure the right values are listed on the detailed descriptive list. And it's pretty easy to put the value when it's a bank account or it's an investment that's publicly traded. But people don't often really know the value of their real estate or even their vehicles. But unless there's some kind of contested matter, um, you know, nobody, nobody double checks the values that are put on the assets and the details detailed descriptive list. There's no requirement that you get the real estate appraised. So sometimes just a, a best guess is good enough for purposes of satisfying the court requirements for the detailed descriptive list. Yeah, with vehicles, you can look up the blue book value and insert all the vehicle information there and get a, get a pretty good value. So one note worth mentioning on the detailed descriptive list is those values, whatever the value is on the date of death of these assets, establishes a new capital gains tax basis for the heirs when they go and turn around and sell those assets. So it is important to, to, to get those values um, as accurate as you can. Okay. Um, some of the mistakes that people make on the on the detailed descriptive list, I've seen many a detailed descriptive list that had non-probate assets listed. Husband had an IRA, named his wife as the beneficiary. That's not a succession asset. That IRA shouldn't be listed on the succession. Um, the, the will has no bearing on where that IRA goes. It goes to his wife. She's the beneficiary. Now, if the estate is the beneficiary because perhaps no beneficiary was listed um, or beneficiaries have predeceased the IRA owner, then depending upon the IRA contract, um, that IRA may be payable to the estate. And if it is payable to the estate, then it does need to be listed on the detailed descriptive list. But too many times we see IRAs, life insurance, 401ks, um, listed on the detailed descriptive list when they really shouldn't be. It really throws off the numbers. Personal effects are handled a couple of different ways. A lot of times we see those non-titled assets um, not included on the detailed descriptive list. However, if there were um, bequests of personal effects in the will, or if there's some type of um, argument or contention over how that stuff goes, then you gotta dot your I's and cross your T's and put all that stuff on there. Now, um, I mentioned earlier that, you know, when somebody dies in the own real estate, it, it, there's no requirement that it be appraised. The only real exception to that rule is if the person died and there's a federal estate tax return that must be filed, but geez, these days, 2018, somebody can have up to $11.2 million of assets without having to fulfill the uh, estate tax return filing requirements. So we don't see that much. So again, it's important to work with your attorney. You know, I've handled hundreds or thousands of these. Get that right because this is really the basis of the succession and all of the information on the detailed descriptive list. And then realize also, I failed to mention that all of the debts 
or included any kind of mortgages or credit card debt or vehicle debt. Uh, all that gets listed on the detailed descriptive list and that stuff has to be addressed as part of the succession. But all that information from the detailed descriptive list simply gets kind of copied and pasted into the final judgment um, where the judge signs the order ordering that those assets be transferred to the appropriate heirs. The difference between the two is on the detailed descriptive list, it lists all the, val all the values, all of the balances on the accounts. Uh, the judgment typically doesn't address the values of the assets. It just orders the transfer of the assets, but it doesn't list the account balances and values. Now, we have a new rule passed in 2017 because one of the concerns in a succession was, you know, dad could die and mom's frail and she's older. And lo and behold, you know, mom's got to work with lawyers and list all their CDs and their bank accounts. Maybe they have a million dollars or two million dollars. And all of these court pleadings are in the public record. And so because there's crazy people out there who will search the court records and then go try to take advantage of people who have money, that's a legitimate concern these days. So just last year... Um, a new law was passed allowing for the detailed descriptive list and all of the information therein to be um, sealed as in the court record. So there is a way to, to keep all of that financial information somewhat private, but still got to go through the formal court proceedings and there's still the expense and the delay involved in getting that done. But you may be able to keep some, some predators from accessing information where they could use it to your disadvantage. So that's about it for the sworn descriptive list. Um, one thing we want to make sure you do is um, go check out, you, know, you, you can uh, go check out our, our YouTube channel, subscribe to that. You can go to our website, rabelaisestateplanning.com. You can attend one of our events, whether it's a event on Facebook Live or actually a live event or something at our office or at another venue. So those are typically the next steps. Um, about to come out with the fourth edition of my book, Estate Planning in Louisiana. That'll be on Amazon.com for you to check out as well. So hope all is well. Really hope you liked my joke at the beginning of the um, podcast. So take care. Um, go take care of business and we'll see you around.